Hi, everyone, and welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. I'm so excited to announce my next guest, Zeno Scott, is an Afro-Latina, trans, wordsmith, educator, and woodworker. Through the formation of genuine interpersonal relationships and with the use of individualized curriculums, Zeno's goal is for no well-meaning question to go unheard or undiscussed, and most importantly, for no person, irregardless of identity, to feel isolated, underinformed, or complacent. As an educator and historical materialist, I am so excited to welcome you to the show, Zeno. Hello. In my heart. Hi. I'm so happy to be in this heart. Oh, you've been in this heart for a very long time. I'm a little bit clamped, I have to say. I'm moved oh. by emotion. Oh, I'm so, that makes me happy. Your story is so incredible and you have so much to share. So can you just start by telling my listeners a little bit about Zeno Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, thank you so much. Um, I listened to about five podcasts today, so it's great to be on one. Um, I am Zeno Scott. Um, I spell that Z-E-N-O or Z period N-O, depending on the day, depending on the feeling. Um, I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm working on trying to understand it, its, its self pronouns, which is something that I'm interested in, um, just as a way to circumvent the norm. Um, but yeah, so I've known Heather, you Heathers for a long time. Um, I currently am based in LA, but I'm in New York right now. I'm an MFA student studying creative writing. Um, I identify as trans, I identify as Afro-Latina. My family is Puerto Rican, Dominican, and uh, African-American as well. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about the ways in which we can come together and liberate each other. I love that. And, you know, you and, and your mom and dad have been um, a source that I always go when I stick my proverbial foot in my mouth or run <laughs> into trouble or are confused about something. Your dad himself is um, an amazing scholar. Your mom, one of my best friends. And yes. so I have um, leaned into your family for my whole life and they have leaned into me um, my whole life as an adult, I would say. And mm. I want to start by talking a little bit about your story and your beginnings and who you were and who you became and a little bit about what that journey is like. And obviously everybody who goes through a trans journey or identifies, you know, LGBTQ plus, there are stories that are vast and wide, but there's one thing that I have come to a conclusion of myself in, and that is that it is a brave journey. And the fact that anybody who's gone through a journey like you have is so in touch with themselves, they're so in, in touch with who they are as a person, more than many people that will walk this earth and live to 100 years and die that never really knows themselves. And I wanted to tap into that. And so I want to tap into your journey and telling your true story and how you got to where you are and a lot of things that I know you can help yeah. us with. In the yeah, world so I grew up in a really white suburban town in New Jersey called Paramus. It's known mostly for the malls, um, at which I spent a lot of time uh, being delinquent um, and skateboarding around. Um, I grew up, and I would say the quote 
that so sadly represents being the only black girl that I could see um, in this white town was, I'm not black, I'm Puerto Rican. And all the time I, and not even Dominican, which is interesting because Dominican felt blacker to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really wanted to separate myself for so long from being black um, because it felt um, literally like a, what a denigration. And if people don't know the word denigrate comes from to make black, denegre. And so to say, to make something lower, we, it really means to make it black, right? And that's how I felt a lot growing up, um, denigrated. And, but at the same time, I don't know how much of it was external and how much of it was internal. Um, I was a popular kid, you know? I was the student body president of my middle school. I was vo- voted most likely to succeed um, in a town where people, and can I curse on this podcast? Oh yes, honey. <laughs> Um, right. (laughs) Um, you know, in a, in a town where instead of saying, damn it, people would say nigger. And I would just be like, huh? And they'd be like, sorry. And I'd be like, no, no, it's fine. (laughs) No, it's chill. Um, and because I didn't want to make a scene and it's not that they thought I was stupid. It's not that they thought I was poor because I had a lot more money than many of them. They knew, they'd been to my house. They rode in my mom's Escalade, you know? And, but there was still something about being the only one that made it um, hard to want to be myself. Um, And that is completely uh, unrelated to the gender um, transition and journey that I went through later in life. Um, I grew up as a girl. I, I felt fine being a girl. Um, I, it wasn't, I didn't feel trapped in the wrong body since I was two. I didn't, you know, I was fine um, for a long, I had crushes on boys, you know, I had crushes on girls, which I didn't know were crushes, right? I think that happens so often that we're like, I really like this person that's of the same quote unquote gender as me. I really, really, really like them. They're my best friend. And it's like, no, you're in love with them. (laughs) Um, And that happened as well, but that happened with boys. And so when I found that, when I started realizing I was something like queer, um, I, I was like, well, it must be lesbian. That must be what it is. I'm a girl. I'm queer. You know, trans identity was, was around obviously because it's been around for centuries, but it wasn't in the media the same way it is now. So to go back to race, we can go back to the gender for a while, but you know, it took a really long time um, for me to advocate for my own racial humanity as a black person. I was never, I loved learning about black history my whole life. Every Christmas, instead of getting me a good present, my dad would get me a volume of slave narratives. So, um, you know, I, I was very well versed. And I understood it. Um, But then at the same time, my town didn't celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Like we didn't have all, well, we did. They had community service, which I actually felt was a good thing. My opinion is that white towns should not have off for Martin Luther King Day and white people should not have off on Juneteenth. Only black people should. Um, But I think, you know, it was just a weird place. 
And then I went to boarding school. Uh, my dad went to Phillips Exeter Academy. So my boarding school was kind of in my lineage, I guess. And I went to Lawrenceville um, and there it was the first time in my life that I really hung out with black people. And that's strange to say, because it was a very white conservative, I would say environment. Um, and, but there was a group of around 11 of us black kids who were freshmen that year. And eventually we just became merged. Yeah. Um, and it's very much, why do all the black kids sit together at the lunch table, that book? Um, like, why do we, because, you know, we sit at another lunch table and someone says something a little bit off and we're like, I need to go eat somewhere else. <laughs> um, but anyways, so that was a really formative time, the boarding school environment. And that's when the gender stuff really started coming out. Um, so I, I had recognized that I was something. <laughs> um, and then there was this uh, lesbian girl, I would, I would say Dyke, um, but not everyone should say that. Right. <laughs> um, and um, they, I was fascinated by them. And we, and we ended up forming a relationship, which was not, which was against the rules. You know, we were freshmen in high school and a boarding school where like two girls technically should not be, you know, be in the same room doing something sexual because, you know, whatever. Against the rules. And, um, but it's very much one of those things by sophomore year that I recognized it wasn't that I was in love with them, it's that I wanted to be like them. Mm-hmm. And they were very masculine. And all of a sudden, and this is an indicator of my privilege, I, that summer after sophomore year, I threw out every single one of my clothes and just bought boys' clothes. And my mom worked in men's fashion, so it wasn't hard. <laughs> um, so I just got a bunch of new great clothes. I came back and they were like, who the hell are you? And I was just a different person. And that's how, and it's a very different journey than I think a lot of the normal rhetoric about transgender identity goes. You're trapped in the wrong body and you know, and you would never choose this and da 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 da. I am very against that rhetoric. I'm sure some people don't choose and can't choose, but I, I could have been closeted my whole life. Yes. I chose to see myself and be myself. Right. And, um, and I chose to experiment with myself to find what that meant. Um, and I think that that's a liberating thing to do, to be able to see your body, to see your soul and say, I can change this at will and see what fits. Yeah. And that's what I did. And, um, and that's when I realized that all this queerness that I felt was not sexuality related. It wasn't that I was only attracted to women and that I was a lesbian. It was that I was a boy the whole time and I'm attracted to many different people. It was actually gender related and not sexuality related. When we talk about pronouns and relating to certain pronouns and things like that, I think that it's confusing for a lot of the people that kind of, you know, walk a traditional line in life, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that they think, you know, you know, when gay and lesbian, you know, came on and people were like, oh, accepting, okay, they understand, you know, they relate to, they're attracted to, you know, the same sex. And that took some time, you know, milk happened a long time ago. And we got Mm -hmm. to a place where people were more accepting of it. And then trans came for some people and they're like, well, well, wait a minute. Okay. Now I understand they actually identify, want to be in that body. But okay, now I can probably put that in some place where I can categorize it and understand it as someone who leads a traditional pretty much uh, like, but what, then what happens is pronouns came and what I identify as, and you know, can you not really tell what the person is or sometimes they dress up and sometimes they don't dress up. And I think that 
a lot of people got confused as to what to do. And now we are in this, you know, very political kind of uh, vacuum, so to speak. Everything is very polarized and people are afraid and they don't want to hurt people's feelings and they want to understand, but they don't want to ask the wrong questions and they don't want to say the wrong thing. I was on a Zoom call and they were introducing themselves using pronouns and I had never done that before. Now, obviously, it's very easy for me to choose my pronouns. But when they, they, they then came up, I was like, wow, how do I relate to that? And I, I used, uh, so when someone loses their wallet, you know, mm. oh, they lost their wallet. You know, there's no Thank you, Heather. gender attached to it. So I like to think that an LGBT, aside from the gravity that they have in their unbelievable uh, search for their, their truth, their own truth, to look themselves in the eye, to see their truth, and then share it with the world crowd. That is unbelievable to me, it's so brave. The other incredible thing to me is, is that they don't see this vessel that we are delivered here in to live this life, you know, this journey. They see souls. Mm. I really believe that they look into a human being and they see the soul, that they don't identify it with a gender, they see the, the soul of the person. Can, mm. can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's how I relate to it, that's how I, you know, explain it to myself. That's how I, not that we need to understand everything and put it in a perfect box with a bow either, but right. just in order to categorize it and shuffle it around in ways that we can lean into it and be helpful and supportive of that type of journey. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is everyone has a gender unless they decide they don't, right? Okay. Um, you... This, you said when someone asked you your pronouns, it was easy for you to say she, her. I love that for you. I'm happy for you, right? And, that, and I think it's important for us to recognize that that is something that we take for granted. To say who, for someone to ask you, who are you? Who are you? How do you want me to refer to you? And your answer is easy for them right? Your answer is, I'm, I'm exactly what you might think. And, but the reality of it is there are so, so many people who for centuries have not been exact, quote unquote, exactly what you might think. And you are she, her, I was she, her. And then I realized, no, that's not for me. And it wasn't, um, and it was because of pain, of course. Um, but it was also just, I really like experimentation. I have a lot of tattoos. I've had a lot of piercings. I, I think the body can be a work. Some people say the body is a temple. I like the body as a work of art. Yeah. Um, you know, and I only, yeah, I only have so long. And especially as a trans person, I don't know how long I have as a trans person of color, right? It's like, I don't know. And I just don't know when it's gonna end what and nobody does. What do you mean by that? I mean, I've been subject to violence, yes. terrible violence, guns pulled on me, beaten up. Um, and, and then, and then the violence that people, 
and I hate to call it violence, but the violence people commit against themselves when they're not accepted. Well, you said it's so brave. I agree to an extent. Um, I feel like there's really no other option for so many of us. Right. Like, it's like, if I, if I still had breasts, if I didn't have a beard, if people called me she, her every day, I don't know if I would be alive because of myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was hard. Yeah. Um, and not just because of trans identity, but also because of anti-feminine violence, right? Like I recognize that being feminine, being femme, being perceived as a woman is not easy. <laughs> I was like, I don't fit like in, for my gender reasons and for like societal reasons. I was like, this is a lot. It's a double whammy. Being a black woman, mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit. This is a really hard life. And so, and I think about my mom and I'm like, damn, like you're thriving. No matter, no matter, no matter anything. It's like, you're like, it's, I can have chills. Like I'm just, it it's incredible to me. Yes. And, and such a, um, an amazing force in my life. Yeah. Someone who has had to endure so much on their own to be such an empowered uh, force in someone else's life, your mom. Right, and, and to think of matriarchs, I think of Marsha P. Johnson, who is a transgender black woman. I think of Sylvia Rivera, who is a Latina trans woman um, who died homeless. Um, these are the literal mothers of the queer movement of Stonewall of anything that you know about queerness from the 1960s, these are the mothers, these are the grandmothers. They died murdered and homeless. We revere them, but they got nothing. They were brave and got nothing. And it's just so interesting to me. And it's so we can applaud and exalt and um, love and appreciate these trans and black radical people as much as we want, but then in the end they get nothing. And it's, that's what I think is one of the main problems or issues when it comes to talking about this emotional labor that we're doing in terms of teaching each other, right? I write my name Zeno because I want you to struggle with my name. I want you to make sure that you sit with my name. I want to use it itself pronouns because I want you to think about gender and what it really means and doesn't when you think of me. And, um, and you know, I, when I was in high school, I wanted to use it, it itself pronouns and say, Zeno, it's over there. And everyone was like, you can't do that that's dehumanizing and terrible, well, you can't. Especially coming as a black American. As a black person, right? Yeah, Where I was chattel, right? I was, I was it. That's the whole point of my oppression, right? But I was faggot and I call myself one all the time. 
I was nigga, and I call myself one all the time. Um, reclamation is very important to people who are oppressed, especially the people like me, because because power can be subverted, right? Through like you know, power can be subverted, and I can also take something that has been used to harm me um, and use it to make me laugh. Yeah, to make me relate to my opportunities. Absolutely. So, so let's back up on that a little, because I think it's, it's um, important that we catch it. So in terms of the pronouns, I want to talk about, you know, they, them, and it's, what's the other one? Because I'm not, this is a new. It, it, it's itself. It, it's itself. Okay. So, so the bottom line uh, to that, and maybe explain people what, how, how does it feel? Like, what is it? I don't understand that one. You have to explain that one. What are you, I'm going to tell you a few things I would call it. Okay. The sun, mm-hmm. the ocean, the cockroach, the rose, right? These are things that I think in a Western lens, are either too large to understand exactly in personal pronouns or things too low to understand. And I say the cockroach very purposefully, the rat. Um, I feel so, as, as a Black American person, very disconnected from any land. From any in from any r- r- real semblance of indigeneity and connection to everything, which is where we should be. And I feel as though gender, for me, is so much larger. It's like when people call God Him. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, if anything, it's her, but it's <laughs> not either of them. Right. It's all. It's all. And um, it, to me, is a reclamation. I feel, because I feel like we do say it about the sun. It, the sun's shining today. It's really beaming. The waves, you know, that wave, it's crashing. Um, and, it, and I'm a poet. You know, yes. language is really important to me and working. And I, and I say wordsmith for a reason, because I think I also like to woodwork a lot. And I think working with language feels tactile to me in that I can feel it in my mouth, you know, yes. um, and my ears. And um, which is a privilege. <laughs> and I, you know, as someone who like learns ASL, I, I you know, I think about the, the different ways we think about like how people sound. Um, but anyways. Yes. Um, I think that it itself pronouns are so expansive and they can be low, they can be high, they can be right, they can be left. They can be, they're all of it, right? Yes. The sun and the, the cockroach. The form is expansive. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I remember talking about when we talked about 
um, when you were first, you know, changing and figuring out who you were. And, you know, you were a girly girl, let alone a girl, you know, I know. there's more pink going on there that I <laughs> remember. Tell me about it. And, um, you know, I think that one of the things we talked about was the honesty and that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people experiment when they're kids with same sex, other sex, they experiment, they play doctor, they do all those things. But uh -huh. there's all this shame in it. Mm. There's all this, you know, oh, that I'm not supposed to do that. And that's, that would be looked down upon and that would be frowned upon. And instead of just experiencing human beings, love, connection, right? Um, whole empathy, you know, uh, wanting to be like someone, a lot of people that mm. we have sex with, we want to be like, you're right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that, you know, but there's also a lot of people we just want to be near, we want to touch, we want to understand, we want to get mm. to know, and there's something very sensual in that as well. And so as you're speaking to me, I'm, I'm seeing that expansiveness, this happened really before my eyes and what you say makes perfect sense. Um, it just gets so difficult to navigate it in a world where there are these buckets and boxes and there is this English English language and, you know, they, them, an English teacher would be like, well, we can't do that. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people get mm -hmm. confused about how to do that. That's why I use the wallet reference. You know, when I- It's really perfect. Do it I do the way. same thing. I say, someone left their backpack over there. Yes, because you don't You know, know. people want to say, you know, first of all, I'm- I'm an English teacher. I love grammar and I love the history of words. I love the history of syntax or the history of etymology. They, them pronouns as a singular pronoun, right? They are referring to one person has been used in Shakespeare. Right. None of what I'm talking about is even virtually new. Not even not even there are pronouns these and zir. Have you heard of those pronouns? Mm -hmm. People call them neo pronouns sometimes, but those pronouns have been around since the early nineties before I was born. There are mostly black and brown and indigenous people. For example, two-spirit indigenous people. Um, two-spirit is an indigenous identity that these people encapsulated all spirits of gender it's similar to either intersex or transgender depending i'm not exactly sure depending on the person i'm sure and they held shamanistic you know integral integral roles in society and in indigenous culture right there are there are just so many different in iran in farsi farsi has no gendered pronouns we think of the Middle East, right? The quote unquote Middle East. I don't say that because I'm like middle of what, east of where. Um, but we think of that area of the world and we think of, what do we think? We think of like, oh, they're gonna behead you when you're, if you're gay or you're fear. a woman. You fear and terrorism and all these things. I don't wanna get into too much politics, but that's not the way it always was, right? These are Western impositions on people's culture. It doesn't make sense that a culture where, that in a country where homosexuality and queerness is illegal, that there would be no gendered pronouns right. in the language. It's thousands of years old. 
because that didn't always exist. And we think about, you know, Boston marriages, for example, which are these, you know, these old kind of lesbian arrangements where, you know, you know, everyone has that aunt or that friend that always has a roommate, right? And it's like, she has short hair, she plays golf. You know, I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but it's like, come on, we know what's going on. And those have been going on since the 1800s and haven't had a name since then, Boston marriages, you know? And there's, you know, thinking back to Shakespeare, how all of the women were played by men, mm-hmm. you know? It, 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 we've been doing this, and I would recommend also looking up the public universal friend. The public universal friend is a Quaker person. I think around the 1800s was um, just one day had this vision from God. It was like, I am not a woman. I am the public universal friend. I have no gender. And would walk out in these gender bending outfits and people revered them. So a lot of the things, I don't believe that Christianity is inherently anti-gay or anti-queer. I don't believe that, I don't believe anything is, except for like white supremacy maybe and colonialism because it requires us to put people in def- in separate boxes in order for people not to come together. There's this rapper I like, and I just been thinking about this line that he says, Mavi, and he goes, I've seen some crazy ass results from showing kindness. Let the sun talk. And I was in this diner and this guy was next to me, a white guy. And he turns or he's talking to this other guy, turns to me and he, and he looks at me, chuckles. He goes, what would have happened if the South won the war? And I just start laughing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, they didn't. But, um, but then I was like, and it was so funny. It was like divine. I had just read this whole article that was like, what would have happened if the South won the war? But it had nothing to do with slavery. Sure. It was like being kind of facetious in that way, just the way he was being. And it was like the gold rush would have happened later. Um, the Spanish empire would have you know, fallen much later and all these other things or earlier, you know, all this stuff. And I started saying that to this guy and I didn't mention slavery because I know that's what he was jabbing at. Of course. And he goes, oh, you know, I didn't, didn't quite think of any of that. You know, he's kind of like, doesn't know what to say. And I'm like, and we get it, we keep going. And he's telling me, you know, trying to convince me that some of the slaves masters treated the slaves well and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, but why did they treat them? Because they needed them to work in those fields. Why did they feed them just the, the bare minimum? Why did they beat them just enough so they stayed alive, right? They trade them real well. Right? Why did they brand them when they tried to get away and label them with drepidomania? They made up a disease of slaves wanting to run away, <laughs> you know? Yes. And I'm telling him all this stuff. I'm showing him articles and he's like really surprised. He's like, so he doesn't know what to say. And I'm like, his name, I forget his name, Paul. And I'm like, Paul, I, I feel like you're misinformed. I feel like people have been lying to you. Something has, someone, something has been lying to you. And I just want to, can I have your number? I want to send you this stuff. So I sent him all this stuff. 
And then two weeks later, and we just part ways. He gives me his card. He's like a plumber. Two weeks later, he comes back running into this diner. I'm there every morning anyway. And he goes, Zeno. And I'm like, I'm scared. And he goes, I'm sorry. And I was like, like, thank you. Why? And he goes, I don't even know what I was getting at. You know, I, and, and I'm sorry. That was a really misplaced, like, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but the question was misplaced. And then he was curious. I think of whiteness very much and white supremacy as a learning curve, right? And it's something, and something that inhibits you from seeing the world. Like W.B. Du Bois says that black people have a double consciousness. We see the world through a veil. We see it as ourselves and then we have to see it as others see us. It's just really important for us to ask questions, even when they're stupid. Yep. Hey, small business leaders. Are you looking for an easier way to onboard and manage remote employees? Are you doing it at all at your company? JustWorks makes it easy for you to start, run, and grow a business. It's the ultimate HR platform for small and growing businesses with simple software and expert support 24-7 to help you manage remote employees across all 50 states. Take the guesswork out of managing employee benefits and figuring out state-by-state rules and compliance. Get access to national, large group health insurance plans. Handle payroll and PTO requests all on one platform. What's more, JustWorks makes it simple to hire and onboard new employees with ease. Find out how JustWorks can help your business by going to JustWorks.com. That's J-U-S-T-W-O-R-K-S dot com for more info. How about fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door? Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. And the fall harvest is officially on at HelloFresh. You can count on seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving ready sides that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week. And HelloFresh's family-friendly menu is a big win for back-to-school season with easy, delicious recipes so that you can look forward to drama-free dinners. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals to extra-special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash InMyHeart and use the code InMyHeart for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Get up to 14 free meals, including free shipping at hellofresh.com slash inmyheart and use the code inmyheart to get America's number one meal kit delivered to your door. You, I think that one of the things that, uh, you know, is two things that are standing out that are so poignant is that we have to make mistakes in order to move forward. We have to stick mm. our necks out we, or, or whatever, or be vulnerable, however you want to say, say the wrong thing, ask the question. We have to do all those things. But the shift is that you've got to really shift your perspective. You've got to chew on your words. You've got to, you can't just blurt it out like, you know, in some ignorant type of way, because mm. now 
we have the knowledge to understand that rhetoric really means something and it's very hurtful and it can systemically be hurtful. So Absolutely. I think that that is, you know, and for someone like me to make a, a microaggression, you know what I mean? And, and okay, I mean as well as I wanted. So in the context of the situation, it was the wrong words to use. And I knew right. it. So I think this, this recognizing what you're saying is, is that we need to have a little sunshine in certain cases and we need to put the hammer down in other cases. And Absolutely. right now we're in a pendulum swing and I talk and about I think, it a lot. And mm. microaggression seems to some people really extreme because it's part of the English language. And yes, white people do actually talk to each other that way. And a lot of black people don't think that. However, it's in the context of which it comes and me not taking pause to understand how I might say something that is like, what? Totally. You know what I mean? And so totally. that's, I think, where the lesson is. And that's why one of the things you say to me um, a lot, and I've written it down and I want to pull it up so that I say it right, is that um, there's an important note. Your reality isn't the only one. Gravity looks so much different on Saturn. You've said that mm -hmm. to me before. Mm -hmm. And I think that that to me is the biggest lesson. You know, intent versus impact, tolerance versus anger and, and going toward, you know, just the hot button right away. Yeah. We're going to have both of it. We're going to have all of it. Yeah. Talk me through, walk us through that a little bit. So I have a few points to make. I don't know which one to make first. The first thing I'll say is one of the most amazing things about every word, most words, is that they have different meanings depending on your intonation depending on what context you say them in. It's why we have the differences between connotation and denotation. Words have a denotation, they have a definition. Yeah. Articulate means well-spoken, you used all the right words, you said it effectively in a succinct, efficient manner. But then it has a connotation of, I didn't expect that from you, right? And it's whether or not you meant that. And the word that I use that maybe it's not the right one, but is Jew. There are very two, there are many, there are two different ways someone can say Jew, That's right. right? And sometimes it sounds really bad. And then someone's like, yeah, I'm a Jew. Well, also, <laughs> I like to make the point that it's different when a Jewish person is referring to themselves as Jew. And that I think is a very, a good segue into the N word, why a lot of people mm. don't understand why it's okay for black, you know, like black people and what, and then we're creating confusion. I mean, we've heard these arguments a million times. Let's talk about that and why it's not really well, confusing. It's not. Um, my opinion on it is you can say whatever you want, but don't be mad when something happens. <laughs> you can, if you want to say it, say it. Go ahead. Say it in front of me. I don't know. Like, we'll have a conversation about it. Like, you can do whatever you want. But we don't spit on people for a reason. You can, I can spit on anybody. It's assault. <laughs> and so it's saying nigger to me, right? It's also verbal assault. I can punch you but why would I want to do that um especially when you asked me 
And so many people have told me, please don't punch me. And it's been since slavery that black people have been using it affectionately because our language wasn't ours. And so we made a whole language within the language that was forced upon us. And like black vernacular English is very important to me. And I think that it is a hundred percent of valid dialect of English that should be accepted widely, right. right? It's expressive, it's poetic, it's idiomatic, it's illusory, it's beautiful, and it's efficient. <laughs> and I and it think- history. <laughs> and it has history, right? It's a similar thing about like black foods and even Jewish foods, right? The foods of lack, right? The chitlins, the, I don't know, the gefilte, I don't know, right? The foods that no one else wanted. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to gravity, you know, looks different on Saturn. And they say, every moment is a sphere. Every sphere has an infinite amount of points. Those points are all the realities in every moment. Yes, that's very Buddhist. And I love that. And I follow that. And it's just, it has to be true. It has to be true. I, and you know, I see it, I see it when I go out, you know, I'm anxious, you know, I'll be anxious at a party and, and I'll be sitting there and, and someone will come up to me like, why are you trying to look so cool over there? And I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm almost, I was looking for a paper bag to hyperventilate into, (laughs) right? Like there's just so many realities people see you and they see something different than how you look down and see yourself. And sometimes it aligns, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes some of it aligns and some of it doesn't. Um, It's just, we gotta stop. I love the veil. The veil is more like a kaleidoscope or something. I don't know what it is. Yes, I think I I look at it the way you do. And I also had, you know, the the privilege of, of hearing about that and watching, you know, from as witness to see how, you know, my black and brown friends walk through life that way. And Mm. the perspective that comes from a black and brown person is always so deep and meaningfully uh, uh, enlightening to me. It really is because of the veil, I feel like. Am I crazy to think that? Because of that two-sidedness? I mean, that's really what it is. There, you know, it's kind of like being bilingual, you know, there was this poster in my classroom with my students being bilingual is my superpower, you know? And that ability code switching, what they call like being able to go, like my dad is really good at code switching. You know, he's, you know, an executive at this very white company and he can be in there with his suit and tie and say, hello, sir, how are you? And then go down to the bodega and be like, que lo que, you know? And, and, you know, and it's, uh, it's bilingual. I'm, I don't speak another language very well. I speak Spanish a bit, but that is bilingual. And it's also, um, it's also just beautiful. Well, I um, think so too. I mean, I, I think that that's why I like to study a lot of different, I read a lot of different texts and, and you know, study, have studied different religions and just to find my own, what I call my religion. You know what I mean? It's how, right. 
I don't really follow any. I'm married to a Jewish guy. I raised my kids Jewish. I want to teach them spirituality. I think it's important to be able to learn and hang your hat on a peg to start the journey from. But you know, organized religion in general is not something that I follow, but I am a highly and deeply spiritual person who believes right, in right. all, as you said. And I mean, I think religious texts are one of the best examples of how we can have many realities from one thing. <laughs> right thing. you know from one thing and, and not to say that the bible where the or you know oh. the quran or one thing because there are like different translations and all these other of things course. like that but that's your point but, yeah it's, that's your point it's one thing that has all these different translations and testaments and writings and but it's all it's all all it's all right it's all all <laughs> i've been yes oh my gosh i've been i love that i really love that well, um, you know, I think. Oh, I had one more thing to say, actually. Please. You were, I, I want to, my mom always talks about this thing called the velvet hammer. I don't know if she's ever talked to you about that, but it's like, you were saying like, sometimes you got to like be kind and sometimes you have to like swing the hammer down and say what's right. Yeah. But the velvet, the, the hammer doesn't have to be made of metal, right? It could be this velvet hammer. And I think that when I say, when I said to that guy, Paul in the diner, and I sat down with him and spent that time, it's because I love him. I said, Paul, you are wrong. Cause I, and I love you. And if you, if I didn't care about, and if I didn't care about me and I didn't care about you, I could either hit you. I could have walked away. I could have let you remain in your ignorance. I could have let you go say that to some other person who might treat you very differently than me. Right. And, but I really don't want that. I don't want, I don't want you to go on living like that. And I think so often with the Karen comment with someone calling you a racist, it's, I think it's so important for us to say, it's not your name. You are not racist. That's not when you, when you don't have to write that on high, I'm racist on your little uh, sticker when you go to a meeting, but what you did contributes to racism. It's about verbs. It's not about nouns. And so I think we have to think about what we're doing and how we can do those things differently or better or more equitably rather than saying, oh, someone said I'm a racist and, you know, Maybe it's because of what, maybe they were wrong to say I'm a racist, right? That was the wrong phrasing. They should have said what I did contributed to white supremacy, contributed to racial capitalism. But what they said was I'm a racist. And there's a denotation and a connotation for that, right? Like we have this idea that racist is a noun, but it's, a, it's more like an adjective. Like, like you are not a, you know, it's like, it's this verb of your action. And so when I call you a Karen, not you, Heather, but if someone calls you a Karen, if someone calls me, donate money, give money directly. If I, if some, every time someone, I say, every time someone calls you a Karen, donate to Glitz organization. <laughs> it's a trans, it's a black, it's a run by this amazing woman, Kaya Dora show. She's a trans woman of color, a black trans woman. She built this amazing house for trans women who's, um, who are formerly incarcerated or homeless and like donate there when someone calls yeah. you a Karen and do some reading. Well, I take think an action. 
Yeah, unfortunately, the action right away is defense, and that is exactly that is, you know really the, uh, the the trap for white privilege. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It is, I guess, the definition by definition. You know, on some levels, white privilege, like defensiveness, like you know, that yeah. classic. I have black friends. Right. You know I mean? That's that probably classic. true. And it's probably true, and you're probably a really great friend because your reality is real. You are a good person, so prove it. Tell, show me how good of a person you are. I'm hurt by what you did. I'm offended, off put by what you did. And I know you can do better than that. Right. Everybody can. Show me how good of a person you are. That's right. And we do have those conversations in life on natural arguments, natural disagreements. But when race comes into it, the stakes are so high and people are mm -hmm. so afraid and for me, I, I feel the same way you do. It's, it's the time to lean into every error and shout. I mean, I am not I am not thankful for what happened and what the mistakes I made on national. Maybe television, grateful. But I am very grateful that they mm -hmm. did. That's right, Z. Mm -hmm. Because I was able to enlighten some other people with my misgivings. And I immediately, once I realized what I did, we were able to use it as a teachable moment. And, you know, I would encourage... You know, it's not, we, we talk about this too, you know, there's a, there's a byline now that it's not really the job of black and brown folks to enlighten, you know, the ignorant white privileged anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, I totally get that, but there is a time for communication and conversation, like you said. And when you said you love that stranger who made a, a, you know, a transgression against you that hurt you and you answered it with kindness. What Buddha says is love everyone, love everyone, and tell the truth. Try mm. to live by those two, okay, rules in your life, and you're going to fail right. pretty much every day because the truth is you don't love everyone, and but th that's the truth. So how can you love right. everyone and tell the truth? But that is the goal is to try to love everyone as a human being that we are a network of people, and there are things um, like racial capitalism. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Working against us. There are things like, um, you know, good meaning white folks like me contributing to that by small microaggressions that add up to mean great things. History is told from the side of, from the perspective of the victor. Yes. You know? And we have to remember that. And, you know, when I think about um, microaggressions, those are very interpersonal and those matter. But when people say that when black people, indigenous people, brown people say that as a white person, you contribute or benefit from white supremacy, it's not because of your microaggressions, right? It's because you can get that loan. It's because algorithmically your credit score is higher. It's because for some odd reason, you were getting paid more than the black woman. It's, it's not your fault most of the time. It has nothing to do with you, almost. You are also just being used to, 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 to continue what has been going on for centuries. Let's mm -hmm. bring up the conversation now of equity because totally. there is, um, I do want to talk, I want to go back to talk about you know, racial capitalism, but I do want to talk about equity because I think that it's, 
it's been um, buzzwords change, time change, just like we discover new things in science, new uh, new words are brought out, new, new realities are brought to the forefront and things change and we have to use different words and we have to listen. And, you know, I blame some of my, you know, comfort and familiarity, you know, and love for um, my ignorance because I wasn't paying close enough attention like I used to. You know mm. what I mean? I wasn't mm. on, you know, the uh, in the foreground and you know what I mean? Like, like I used to be. And right. so I just got comfortable and I didn't uh, pay enough attention to the change that I needed to lean into to, to not contribute to racial capitalism, but the opposite and be somebody like that. So equity is really um, a new buzzword, I'm going to call it, even though it's really not, but it used to right. be equality. Equality, equality, equality. Right, and, right, right. Um, I'm going to post on my Instagram page an image that you shared with me that, that is so unbelievably descriptive, like a picture is worth a thousand words, of mm-hmm. truly what equity is. And that is um, leaning into the conversation you're having about, you know, systemic degradation and, you know, generation over generation, just like success is inherited loss is inherited. So let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about equity and and can you describe the image that you sent me and you know we'll sure. talk a little bit about that. So basically there's a baseball game and there's a fence. And the fence is say five feet high. There are three people. One is very tall above the fence. They can see over the fence. One is like right at the eye level of the fence and one is too short to see over the fence. Equality, giving everyone the same thing would mean giving everyone a two foot box, just a, uh, you know, thing to stand on. Something to stand on to see over the fence. Right, the short person, I mean, the tall person can see even better. The mid-sized person can see perfectly and the short person still can't see at all. But equity wouldn't have given the tall person anything because they could already see, would have given the medium-sized person, a one-foot thing, because that's all they needed. And would have given the short person two boxes of three feet, because they just couldn't see. That's equity. However, liberation is tearing down the fence, right? Liberation is saying, why is there a fence here? I'm not going to run over there, and I I don't, you know, I just want to watch the game. Why am I being separate from it? Creativity is, and I would like to say radical creativity, is taking a hammer and making a hole in the fence and picking your eye through, right? There are so many ways that we can deal with the obstacles we're given. We can give everybody the exact same thing and some people still won't have enough and some people will have too much. Or we can give everybody just what they need and things will be chill. Or we can try to say, why does, why do some people, why are some people separate? Why are some people without? And deal with that fence, right? Because the fence, if they just tore down the fence, they wouldn't have to make any crates or boxes or bring any of those things over there. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think it's, I think we have to recognize that if someone wants equality, that's okay we see that there are faults to it, right? We know that that's a reality, right? And equality meant something different before, right? Like when when Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and Bayard Rustin and all these people were saying equality, 
they weren't saying I want exactly what the white person has. They were saying, I, I need to have what I need, what you've taken from me and me alone, from us and us alone, right? And so I just think it's really important that now we know that these words are separate. They're different, not separate, <laughs> yeah, different. Exactly. It's an understanding. That we strive. Of, yeah, it's an understanding of privilege in an introspective way, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think that that's we oftentimes, you know, if we're um, put on the defensive, you know, obviously then it's really easy to say, you know, that's your white fragility coming through, and you know, you're looking like that. Um, but also, you have to be. You can't be pessimist and feel like it's too big. I can't change mm. anything. I'm not going to be a part of it. Um, or we, we'll never make a difference if we're too afraid to make a mistake. It can just be reciprocity because we're kind humans and I don't want someone to give something to me, to offer something to me that's hard to offer without offering something in return. Someone invites me to their birthday party, my mom would say, you better not come empty-handed. Right. Right? And, you know, that's, that's what I have. Just like, don't come empty-handed. Um, yeah, I think that there's the old adage, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And you've shared to me the modern version or the new, um, better understanding of, of perspective and individual uh, behavior, people, the soul, treat people the way they want to be treated. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. therapy was out of reach or not sure you could find the right person or didn't even know where to begin, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp lends services to clients worldwide and there's a broad range of expertise available which may not be in many local areas. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist, and expect a timely and kind return. Schedule your weekly video or phone sessions when it's convenient for you and never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. 
BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and they make it easy and free to change therapists as needed so you truly find the right one. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional therapy done securely and conveniently online. BetterHelp wants you to start living your best life today. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. Visit betterhelp.com backslash in my heart. That's better H-E-L-P backslash in my heart and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Use the special offer for In My Heart listeners and get 10% off your first order at betterhelp.com backslash in my heart. Growing up, cereal was always a fun part of being a kid, but I gave up on it as an adult and I didn't feed it to my own kids once I realized it was full of sugar and empty calories. Luckily, Magic Spoon believes cereal can be good. Magic Spoon cereal has zero sugar and 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Their variety pack includes cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. I love mixing the fruity and frosted together. The kid in me is alive and I can feel good feeding it to my kids too. Go to magicspoon.com backslash in my heart to grab a variety pack and try it for yourself today. And be sure to use promo code in my heart at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash in my heart and use the code in my heart to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode and thanks for yummy cereal we can all love. Now back to my show. You did learn through your experience. I mean, when you first came into... Um, yourself and your journey of, 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 you know, being who you are and all that kind of stuff. You had a lot of anger. I, I like got suspended. Rest. Yeah, I got suspended. I knew. Because yeah, yeah, I took some vigilante action against That's this right. guy. Got, was, just, yeah. Okay, so I remember when you got suspended from college because it was such, you know, a, an amazing school and it was like all this stuff. So let's talk about, and I'm so glad you did, by the way. I remember talking to your dad about it. Um, you know, allowing some of this to, you know, just ha permeate, happen, come out. But you have changed, you have learned, you have evolved and grown as a human being because you, that is never an action that you would take now because you saw that it puts you at a disadvantage. Like you said, Absolutely. you were not in control. So Absolutely. I, I think that's something to be, you know, it's just a lesson to be taught, generally speaking, that you're never communicating when we're yelling. Right. We're never communicating when we're on the defensive and thinking only about our own self, what we want to get across and not looking at the other person's perspective. And we just right. have to take it. We all can take a little bit of pause in doing that. That is in itself going to affect change, being not fearful. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? To make a mistake, say the wrong thing, you know, ask the question, think about it, try to be tactful. There's a chance you won't be. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, but we have to, we have to do all these things to move forward because 
we, you know, love is really here and there's a lot of it. And right now we see a lot of hate and it's a battlefield mm. out there. And, mm -hmm. you know, even on social media, I had to take a perspective of someone who was being horrible on my page. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you can't bring all this onto my Instagram page. You know, it's my personal mm. page. You can't become your battleground. But I had to take pause. And for a minute, I let it all happen because I recognized that it was a platform for someone. Right. You have that didn't have one to have a voice to sit on that platform and let their truth be told. There's part of me that really agrees that you're not heard when you're yelling. But then I think about protesting. Yeah. Open yourself up and say, what did I do? It's the same thing as like, you know, let's agree to disagree. That's when the conversation actually needs to start. And people have been brushing stuff under the carpet for so long. Yeah. And I think what's beautiful about the movements that are all happening and converging, you know what I mean? Between like BLM and Me Too and, you know, just this stop enough already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not okay anymore on every level and the pendulum swinging. The beauty that will come out of this, I have to believe in, um, will be a better tomorrow, will be yeah. a better place. And they got nothing, the leaders of the LGBTQ movement. They got nothing. nothing. Those people who were murdered for us to have the rights to vote, you know, they got nothing. But what they did do is they enabled change for someone else. I think just slavery as chattel enslavement is just the best example of racial capitalism, right? They weren't just made slaves like slaves were in the past, like for prisoners of war and all these other things. They were made slaves so they can be sold, bought, and used to create things that will be sold and bought for profit. They were profit. They were there to make profit. Um, and that is basically my basis for racial capitalism and something that we obviously are still dealing with, especially because there were no reparations ever given for that. What a lot of us, a lot of the people I am in conversation with and community with are not doing allyship anymore. We're doing accompliceship. When I go to a protest and the police are only looking to arrest black people, because they really don't, like they'll arrest white people, but like the white people will form a circle around the black protesters so they can get to us last. Because their white bodies, I'm sorry if people disagree, but you can watch videos of this. <laughs> like, you, like, is a form of protection against the police. Right. And my white privilege is, I think that the fact that I have a voice and that's why I make the mistakes is my, I have to use it. Even if I mm. mess up. You know, right. it is part of my voice is part of my privilege. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think. Skin to stand in a circle. And I would say your voice is a part of your privilege and your silence and listening are a part of your accomplishment and allyship, right? And I think, but listening to the right people and I, you know, I love Jane Fonda. There's, you know, I love her. She's like, well, we just got to listen to the black and brown people who have been saying this for like a hundred years. So I'm going to go. <laughs> He's like looking great in a turtleneck. And so I'm like, go off, getting arrested at the protest. I love her. And I think so, so off, yeah. People to look at for inspiration and so many writings and books to look at for inspiration. I mean, you absolutely I've, I've read some, you've shared new one, new uh, authors and, and those with me I've been really diving into. Um, and, and and it's out there. There's so much out there for us to look into. 
you know, it's I, one thing I want to make sure is that, you know, I think that some people think it's hopeless and I've heard people actually say that it's hopeless. And, you know, that's yeah. one thing I'll never let go of. I'll never mm. let go of hope. I will never let go of, you know, whatever fight I have in me to, you know, make mistakes to try to lean in and, and you know, learn and not make the same mistakes twice. I always say mistakes are uh, mistakes only if you make them twice. If, if not, mm. they're lessons. So to learn our lessons, lean, lean in, not be fearful, have uh, some time to take pause, you know, mm -hmm. and like if you were to summarize this for me, you know, what is some of the takeaways that you would have to put in your bullets, like, you know, speech, give it to me. I would say learn you, figure out you before you try to figure out everything else. Um, I would say... If you're curious about somebody, who they are, show them that you are and show them that you have curiosity and love and that you can also offer something to them. And that goes back to learning you. What can you offer as a friend, as a comrade to people um, that, that allows you to have a reciprocal relationship, right? Um, and then I would say... Being a good person is a verb. It's an active verb. And being a good person looks different to almost everybody, no matter if they're black, white, red, gay, straight, up, down. It, you have to treat people like individuals, but then also understand the systemic things that hold down certain people, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they identify with their blackness, with their queerness. We just have so many different understandings and there's no answers. There's only questions. And I'll say that I chose the name Zeno because Zeno's paradox says, you never reach the end. You only get closer and closer. And I feel like that's the, that's liberation. It's there. And like, we can only get closer and closer and get tried harder and harder. And that's not to be hopeless and say, we'll never get it. That's to be realistic and hopeful that we can always get better, no matter what. That is beautiful, 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 beautiful. I don't even have to ask you, I always like to ask you, and in this, you know, very difficult time of these battlegrounds, these, you know, this war that's going on. How do you, how do you find freedom right now? How do you find joy when, you know, listen, the work that I feel, you know what I mean? But you, you, you chose this as your career path. I mean, you are a scholar and a teacher of these things. I would say I'm lucky that I find like that Paul thing happened years ago and that thing has kept me going since then. You know, I, I find a lot of joy in correcting what I think has been wrong. Um, and I find a lot of peace in that. Um, and I just, I like to argue, I like to talk, you know? Um, but also I love to create. I love to be honest with myself and explore myself as a person. Um, I love to look at what other people are creating and how they're understanding their blackness, their queerness, their marginalized identity. Um, because we're not alone in it, you know? And, you know, it's like, 
yeah, I just think we have to take time to find the things that really bring us the most joy. And I, I guess I, I'm, I'm lucky, I guess, that, you know, what brings me joy is talking about this kind of stuff and learning more about what people feel. Um, and not just the people inside my like millennial queer bubble. Um, it's really important for me to know how my mom's friends feel and her church, you know, people feel and all of that. So I'm just, yeah, I just like people and understanding what's going on up in the, in the brain. Um, but I think just finding joy is important I, and taking time to just like laugh at stuff. I love laughing. Yeah, take it a little um, bit more serious. Well, you're an amazing resource to me and my family and my kids. We had a conversation the other day in the car that I had to call Dino about. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Um, Thank you, Heather, to, for having um, me. Before we go, you know, just let my listeners know where they can find you on Instagram, sure. on your social. And then um, I want to say a little something about, you know, your work and where they can find you. Zeno Scott, Z-E-N-O-S-C-O-T-T.com. And um, my Instagram is not very professional, but if you want to see some of my creative work, you can go to Mythnomer, M-Y-T-H-N-O-M-E-R on Instagram. Amazing, amazing. So one of the things that I wanted to just say about Zeno um, as an educator and a historical materialist is that they really work with individuals and corporations to increase awareness around issues of this systemic disenfranchisement, working to make tangible improvements to personal and perspective and institutional policy. So if your company, your small business, you think that they could benefit from, you know, Zeno's wisdom and education and work. Please do go to Zeno's website. So much more to do, but this is just the beginning. Thank you everybody for listening. And thank you to my guest, Zeno. I love you so much. Love you too. <laughs> and this is in my heart. Thanks for joining and be sure to join us next week for a new episode and download us wherever you stream your podcasts. We'll be there. <laughs>